Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us this morning. And though I know you're probably going to be listening to this at, at a variety of random times and, and days, uh, I think this is the first podcast episode that I've recorded on a Saturday morning, relatively early for a Saturday morning. And my my friends Paige Vaughn and Amanda Saken are with me. And it's even earlier for you guys. What time is it where you're at? It is about 7 a.m. Central Time. And 6 a.m. here. Okay. So, yeah. And, and I, again, I can't thank you enough for, for uh, waking up early to make this happen. And this is a first for us as well in the format in that um, we have, I have two guests on the podcast that I'm interviewing virtually. And um, so we're, it's, it's, it's a bit of an experiment, uh, an active experiment, and we're going we're gonna to work through it. You guys be patient with us. Uh, but I'm really excited about this episode, um, not only because we're trying a new format, but because we're getting into a topic that um, we really haven't touched on a whole lot yet. We've talked about websites before, how to create a better or more effective website for the sake of, of course, running a more effective photography business. But we're going to get really specific today talking about a website funnel. And we'll get to those details here in just a bit. But as we normally do, we're going to start out with something called, that we call the aha moment. And Paige and Amanda, I'd love for both of you to share what may have been the biggest or hardest lesson that you've learned as a business owner so far. Maybe Paige, you can start. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm by no means a master of business at this point in my life, but I feel like maybe the biggest aha moment that I've had so far is really learning to stay in my own swim lane and and to grow my business sustainably in a way that's meaningful, but is also just very, I'm able to handle it on the back end and still serve my clients well. And as far as staying in my own swim lane, I feel like it's very, very easy to compare yourself to other creative entrepreneurs and where they are in their journey and measuring your success against that. And I feel like I've, I've learned and I'm still trying to master the fact that I can only compare myself right now to who I've been in the past and what my business has been like in the past. And it's kind of helped me stay heads down and work on what works for my business because I feel like the moment I lose sight of that and start working towards what I see working for other people's businesses is when I'll kind of lose sight of my mission and then also kind of lose sight of myself and my motivation and, and being proud of where I am in business right now. So something I'm still working on, but, but proud to have achieved this far. Yeah, no, that, and you make a really great point. And I think we can approach this from a couple of different directions. Number one, the idea of staying in your lane is really important in the context of maintaining focus, right? You said it's easy to compare what you're doing to somebody else, but as long as you're clear about what it is that you are, what goals you're reaching toward, um, and, and you have that North star of sorts, that'll, that'll certainly minimize the amount of stress that you have to deal with as a business owner, especially that comes from comparing yourself with others, but it also allow you to, to keep things focused within your business, your day-to-day workflow and minimize stress in that regard as well. The flip side of that, and just playing slight bit of devil's advocate here is it, it doesn't hurt to, and this, of course, this is not directed uh, toward you page, but just for our listeners in general, the idea of staying in your lane is good for the sake of focus, but it doesn't hurt to continue to, to open ourselves to learning, growing. And there's a potential that we might even be able to expand on our, our goals, our dreams, what we're actually reaching toward as we continue to grow as individuals and photographers. Um, so I think it's important to keep an open mind, but I love the importance, the significance of keeping focus. And that's been a theme here on, on the podcast as well, late, which I'm really glad for. Photographers need to make sure that they are clear about their goals, what it is they're striving for personally and professionally, and that they're reaching toward that and not simply using other photographers as kind of a gauge as to how well they're doing in business. So this is really, really good. Amanda, how about your take on this? Well, my aha moment goes really closely with that on the topic of focus. I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that it's important to get to know who you want to serve as well as possible and then build a business that meets their needs rather than the other way around. So it can feel really terrifying to get 
daringly narrow when it comes on who exactly you want to work with, but there's actually a lot of freedom that comes with that. And it makes all of your other decisions such as what exactly to offer, where to spend your time marketing, um, and everything easier. I just feel like if you're focused on knowing and loving and serving your people, then you'll always be able to create products and services that they want. So I think our instincts are to continue to widen the net, especially in the beginning, because we don't like excluding people. But especially in a saturated market, the only way to really stand out is to know exactly who you're trying to reach and just speak directly to them and love on those people. Oh, I, I do like that too. And, and, and that notion of specialization. It also reminds me of a book called Tribe or Tribes by Seth Godin. We'll make sure to link to this resource oh, yes. um, in the show notes. But uh, yeah, that's, that's really, really good. I love this is powerful already. We're starting off really strong. Um, and I appreciate you both sharing your perspective um, on that aha moment or the biggest lessons. And, and that, that notion of focus is so, so important. I'd also love to get to know both of you a little bit more on a personal level. So Paige, maybe again, you can start us off with something maybe a little bit random that most people don't know about you. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a somewhat non-traditional path in how I ended up in photography. And so in addition to doing wedding photography in Texas, I am also a full-time marketer and communicator, which is kind of where our paths cross during this conversation for both you, Nathan, and for Amanda in how we feel about, again, just targeting our audiences who we're focusing towards and how we approach that through marketing and communications in a really authentic and genuine way that makes sense. So that's usually something people don't know about me. They assume I just do photography all the time, which I do really, really love. But I'm lucky enough to have two passions that I get to tell stories through. Um, so they kind of align in that way. Um, it's actually what I got my college degree in. And it's given me that renewed passion and storytelling that I'm, that I'm able to better serve my photography clients through because I'm able to approach it through more of a journalistic perspective or photojournalistic, if you will. But outside of that, a little bit more fun fact, but not quite as exciting. I was I used to collect postcards for years. I would have my family collect them for me. I would do it myself when I travel. I had hundreds. I haven't done it for years, but I feel like that's kind of a quirky thing that's definitely reminiscent of like the early 90s. <laughs> the early 90s. I love that. A couple of things I want to respond to there. Number one, you mentioned the idea of storytelling. And you really do have unique perspective as somebody with a marketing background and somebody actively working in marketing as well as being a photographer. But what, what, as I've continued to learn more and more about marketing, especially helping run my company, that notion of storytelling, I, I just realized more and more the, the significance of that. You know, as much as we, we talk about layout and design for a website, which we're going to get into in detail today. Uh, and and we talk about you know how to use Instagram effectively as far as the the, the graphics that are designed or the types of videos that we put together. I mean, this topic of marketing is just loaded. There's so many facets to it, but at the end of the day, it's such a large part of marketing is telling a good story. People connect with a really good story, and it's important that you're telling a good story, that your brand is telling a beautiful story, and something to Amanda's earlier point that our target market. Can connect with that it'll that will resonate with them and and so that's really really great you talk about postcards i used to collect stamps uh, as a kid and i remember when i would go to and, and more i guess older stamps the antique stamps if you will and i would go to to uh antique shops and get postcards and then soak the postcards and and remove the um the, the stamps from them so i, I don't think <laughs> it quite aligns with your goal you wouldn't want to damage your postcards but that's just something that kind of came to mind when you talked about doing that yeah that's so fun. And I'm just going back to storytelling for a second. I think you touched on something really important. And and I think really telling a story that is, like we talked about, meaningful, and, and it just ladders up to your purpose, again, and who you're serving. I, it's really life-changing when you think about it. And it makes business so much easier when you view things through that lens. Who are you talking to and why are you talking about it? And well, I know we'll touch on that a little bit later too when we're talking about how we can do that in our marketing and our website and our social media and all that fun stuff. But I just, I can't emphasize that enough. But anyways, go on. No, that's good. Yeah. Who and why? And let's definitely come back to that. Uh, Amanda, please take it away. Tell us something random about you. Well, Again, I can really relate to Paige on this. Something that I think sets me apart is I have a master's in communication studies, which is different than mass communications and that it's just the study of how people communicate. And I actually got to teach public speaking for two years, 
while I was getting my master's, which was fun. So I love that I get to just focus on communication, both visually and verbally. And then a more personal fact is that most people probably don't know that I was actually homeschooled most of my life. And both of my parents worked for themselves and they were able to be home with us kids a lot. And I always knew that I wanted to take that same path for myself. That's interesting. I was actually homeschooled uh, as well. So I, I can certainly relate to that environment. Did, did you end up finding that you were, I, I, well, I don't know, when I look back personally at pictures of myself as a child, when I was homeschooling or involved in a mission school or something comparable, um, I, I was a little bit of a, a dork. I had like, I think ah. back to, I, I lived in Japan for quite a while. And so in that context, and then coming back to the States and not having been involved in American pop culture, uh, I think that the issue was was even uh, more highly emphasized. But I was wearing I these pictures of me wearing like really, really short shorts and these tall striped socks and Velcro shoes. I, I just it, it's really funny looking back on it. But did you find that that it kind of I don't know, did it did it make it difficult to was fit it in? Weird? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way to say it, I guess. Yeah. Did it make it difficult to, to fit in with with your local culture? Not honestly, most of my friends were homeschooled too. And well, I should say I have had such a blend of friends that went to school and were also homeschooled. So I didn't really feel like the outsider on on either spectrum there, but I am pretty weird. And I don't think I can blame that on homeschooling. Actually. <laughs> well, being weird isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think we can, the synonym there is different and, it, and it's certainly helpful in this day and age to be unique and to stand out. And, and again, this is a topic that will probably continue or a theme that'll continue through our conversation today. But I love that. And, and I'm actually curious, Amanda, maybe you can take this question first. How do you like to spend your free time when you're not working? What is it that, that takes up your time? What do you enjoy? Well, I have two young kids right now, so I spend most of my time with them and there's not really much free time outside of that with the business, but I find that it really works well actually because my creativity just gets tapped out if I just spend a lot of time sitting in front of a computer. Absolutely. And I think it's really important to just get outside and explore and play to just refill that well. And luckily, when you have two small kids, there's lots of reasons to get outside and do those things. How old are your kids? Eight months and four years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're just kind of getting started and things are probably a little bit crazy, huh? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I still, my my kids are 16 and 12 and I'm just absolutely soaking up this time in their life. But I I was even looking through some old images this morning and man, it gets to me because I I really do miss the younger stages. They have their own challenges as well, but definitely soak it up while you can. It's such a beautiful time. It is. Paige, how how about yourself? How do you like to spend your free time? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I, I will admit, I don't have a ton of free time, which I know we'll eventually talk about ways to define more free time in our lives. But um, when I do have it, I like to... So Austin, Texas is, as you probably know, a foodie city. So um, my partner, Charles, he is a chef. So we often find ourselves trying new restaurants or even just visiting the ones that we love over and over again. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So that's definitely a hobby for us. I also have two very naughty dogs who we like to go on hikes with and really just try to find some time to be outside of the apartment. Because that's one thing for me as an entrepreneur. I know I spend a lot of time behind my screen and a lot of time planning for my business. And and I'm sure you both can relate, but being so passionate about your business, it is really hard to or is really easy to allow yourself to be consumed with what else you could be doing. So I feel like something else that kind of inspires me, like Amanda was talking about, and allowing yourself to kind of avoid that burnout, um, for me has been just getting out and meeting with other people. It could be my friends. It could be their friends. It could be my Lyft and Uber drivers. And just really hearing their stories, even if it's in 30-second tidbits, and really kind of diving into those, it seems kind of random and maybe even intrusive at first. But I can't tell you the number of times I've had conversations with random people people who have ended the what they've shared with me anecdotally has been really meaningful to me and really impacted even just how I spent my that day or how I view certain things because you're just exposed to so many different types of people. So that's actually a hobby of mine in my free time. Whenever I, I'm not driving, I would um, just lift around the city, even if just to, to hear other people's stories. I think that's beautiful though. And the, the, the thing is there are stories all over the place, you know, I, I, and I've probably mentioned this in the podcast before, but I just love flying, going to an airport and walking through an airport or sitting in a chair and watching people go by, you think about all the stories 
that are represented there, even even just in say a hundred people or even ten people for that matter, um, it's really beautiful to to dig into those a little bit. And not everybody is used to to somebody who actually cares to know their story or cares to ask a deeper question. But I love that almost challenge as well, and and it's extremely inspiring. And I'm to to your point, I'm I'm making a little bit more of an effort too as of late to, and when I say as of late, literally this week even. Um, to get out a little bit more because I do have a tendency not necessarily to be in front of my screen all the time, but although that that is particular that that can be an issue, uh, but I just I find that I'm either you know in my apartment or at a coffee shop pretty consistently, and I just need to get out and connect more. And so this week I went to a couple of meetings, one for one geared toward entrepreneurs, another one geared toward just creatives in general. And it was so great just to get out and have a conversation or two and, and be around other people and kind of break up the the monotony of my schedule, if you will. I think that's really, really cool. And you mentioned Austin. I'm, I'm actually headed to Austin, Texas in April with my son. We're going to go to see the MotoGP race or races that are coming there in April. Uh, for those of you who don't know what MotoGP is, it's kind of the uh, kind of the biggest race series in motorcycle racing. And so we did it last year. We're going to be there again this year. But is there, you mentioned um, going out to eat. What's what's a favorite restaurant? Because we may have to check it out. Yes. And I think you and I will have to connect after this too, because I have a whole Google doc of things that you can try while you're here. Oh, cool. Again, okay. It's definitely an affinity for us. But um, I'd say my favorite is a Chinese restaurant that's downtown. It's called Wu Chow, but they do traditional dim sum on Sundays, which is kind of cool, especially because I'm not near a major metropolitan area like New York or Chicago or San Francisco where there's Chinatown built in. So it's just a really cool experience and a well-known kind of restaurateur in the area. He owns it and is always there. And again, it's just really cool to be there on a Sunday morning, especially with South by Southwest coming up because there's so many out of towners who are there. And yeah. It's just a cool environment to be, to be downtown. And going back to talking about using our, our free time to get to know other people and connect with other people. There's something I can't overexpress the value of enough. And that's finding a community of creatives in your area to get to know and hear their stories and, and not just network in the traditional sense to where you know, of course, it'll benefit your business. But I personally like to go to my monthly Tuesdays Together group through the Rising Tide Society. And I'm just constantly inspired and challenged to be better and do better based on the women and, of course, the men within that group, too. They've just really, it exposes me to not just all the different types of creative entrepreneurs out there, especially outside of the photography industry, which I feel like is really easy to pigeon yourself pigeonhole yourself into, but really just being exposed and hearing their stories and creating that community. I think that's a valuable use of, of my free time and certainly other people's free times too, which I think sometimes we categorize free time as the time we don't work on our business. But I think that's something that's refreshing and revitalizing that you can do that also benefits your business. So I just wanted to, to plug that too, because I feel like that's been such a huge thing for me and how I spend my free time lately. It's that's really good. And actually, it reminds me of a very loaded conversation and really probably like four or five podcast episodes that we could dedicate toward it. But you know, there's there's a decent amount of conversation about about the notion of depression or the idea of depression and um, creatives and photographers in particular, dealing with depression. And um, of course, there are multiple facets to this conversation and certainly reasons why uh, a creative or a photographer may be experiencing that that emotional low. But I, I would have to venture that at least part of that um, that issue could be addressed just simply by more proactively and consistently connecting with other people. And uh, you know, part of that is just the, the simple fact of going out, making an effort to get out and connect with other people means that you're no longer kind of focusing inward, but you're focusing outward. And so I think there's a significant benefit in connecting with other people just simply for that reason, not to mention the additional inspiration that can come from those conversations. And so uh, this is really, really important. And uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that that we're making making it a priority here in this conversation as well. All right, so I'd love to to get both your opinions or your your takes, your perspectives on how you create some of this free time that we're talking about. Um, I know, Paige, that you said that you don't have a ton of it, and that's totally understandable. Amanda, having two kids, that can certainly take up a lot of time. But how do you all create that, even if it's a little bit of free time, how do you create that free time for yourself? Amanda, maybe you can start. I'd say my all-time favorite tool for productivity is the Pomodoro technique, yes. which I hope I'm pronouncing properly. And that's just to break tasks down into 20 to 25 minutes of focus time. 
separated by short breaks of about three to five minutes and then a longer break after about four. And it's amazing what I can accomplish in 20 minutes when I have focus on just one task and everything else is shut down or turned off. Um, and like I said before, I do have my my kids. My eight-month-old is with me um, full-time and my four-year-old's in school part-time. So it's a lot easier for me to schedule out those tasks and projects in small focus chunks of time. And that's good. And I think there are two benefits to that por- the, the Pomodoro technique, which we will link to at, at least one or two resources uh, in the show notes referencing how that works, what it's about. Uh, it really is a powerful technique. And I think for two main reasons. Number one, creating parameters for yourself or time limits ultimately where you're you're constrained to a particular amount of time to get something done. It just naturally tends to, to push us to get something accomplished a little bit more efficiently or a little more quickly. And I think it's extremely beneficial for that, not only for that reason, but also for the sake of focus. And then I guess a third benefit too is, is ultimately having little breaks. And Amanda, I think you actually alluded to this earlier, but having breaks in your day encourages creativity, right? If we were working for hours and hours and hours on end, um, there's a tendency for us to get burnt out and to, to lose that creative edge. So I love building small breaks into your day. I personally love to work in short spurts of time and then break it up with, you know, something like a motorcycle ride or going out to a, a, you know, connect with somebody for coffee or whatever the case may be. But breaking up my day into segments uh, is definitely enjoyable, not only enjoyable, but, but for me, quite effective as well when it comes to getting things done. Paige, how about yourself? Yeah. So for me, again, you know, there isn't a a ton of free time to go around, but there have been a couple of things more recently that honestly have been life-changing, which I feel like can be a little bit dramatic, but Abby Grace, a photographer based out of DC, she said something to me that I haven't been able to forget. And it's when it's through approach, when you approach your business to, really prioritize the two or three kind of God-given talents you have in your business and do something you do that no one else could possibly do and things that make your business different and really own those and hone those and just put all of your heart into those and then find ways to automate or outsource other parts of your business that don't exactly give you life, even if you like them. If they are not the two to three things that you just ultimately live for in your business. So for me, obviously it's the photography aspect, it's the client relations, and it's also my content creation side of me, blogging and social media. Those are the three things that I know nobody else can do, like I can do, and I prioritize those. And then I find ways to outsource and and automate the rest. So having a really powerful CRM software. So I know a lot of people use HoneyBook. I personally love Dubsado. Um, and I really just like the mission behind their business. And I love how close I am to the creators of the product and the community that they formed around that. And also small things like automating the scheduling for consults and engagement sessions through Calendly. So really, I'm, I guess all my solutions are kind of software based, but another huge one for me, is outsourcing about 75% of my wedding editing through photographers edit in a way where I can still maintain the quality and style that I'm looking for, but, but also just kind of automates the rest of it through, through photographers edit. And that's, it's really just been life changing because I can spend more time serving, not just my clients, which are ultimately a huge priority for me, but also my loved ones. I can spend more time in person or over video chat. I don't think I mentioned this, but I also have seven siblings who live in different states than me. So I can can spend time visiting them and talking to friends and really just soaking up time around me. So those are the things I kind of use to just optimize my life a little bit. And it's I feel alive again, which I feel like the one thing your business shouldn't do is suck the life out of you. It should, it should fulfill you. That's why we're creative entrepreneurs. This is really good. And, and there are a couple of points, again, that I'd like to touch on there. But number one um, is the idea of focusing on what I, what I refer to when I share with photographers or speak to photographers as proactive tasks, right? So number one, a proactive task is something that actually moves your business forward or more specifically increases your bottom line, helps you book more clients. But number two, those proactive tasks tend to actually require you. And, and you were alluding to that page. And, and I think that's a really important distinction to make. Um, these are something, these are tasks or activities that actually uh, require your involvement. And I, I think that's an important distinction to make because much, if not most even of what we do as 
business owners, more specifically photography business owners, uh, could likely be delegated to someone or uh, someone else or, or to another company. You mentioned Photographers Edit, and, and I certainly appreciate that plug. But it's nice to know that that we have those resources and those services that we can rely on uh, that will help us, that can help us manage that busy work that isn't necessarily directly correlated to increasing our bottom line, to growing our business. And so that's really, really important. And uh, and I, I like that that the philosophy is driving what you're doing there at the end of the day. And, and that's so, so important. I, we have so much to cover in our conversation. And I like the direction that this is already going, but maybe briefly, we've been talking about business. Can you all both, and man, let's start with you again. Can you just briefly talk to us about what it is that you do business-wise, how long you've been in business and how you got started? Okay. Well, I've officially been in business for about four years. I've been designing as long as I can remember, starting with websites and stuff for my dad's businesses. And then I did freelance a lot in college while I was earning my bachelor's in graphic design. However, when I graduated with my, after I graduated with my master's degree, I ended up working for some nonprofits for a while and I really enjoyed that. I didn't really commit to working for myself until after my daughter was born and my husband went back to school for his master's degree. So I knew we needed some extra income while he was a student. And I also knew that I didn't want to go back to work in a traditional job and leave my daughter. So that was the extra push to do what I had really wanted to do the whole time, but was just too scared to do up until that point, which is to really pour myself into owning my own business. And I had just thought of myself as just a designer. But after working with a few clients, I realized that There's so much work that goes into defining what your brand actually is before you can design visuals to communicate that because you can't say something if you don't know what you're trying to say. And I found that my own background slash obsession with communication made me really passionate about helping people work through that process. So that's when I started incorporating the personal brand coaching aspect to my business, which is now the foundation for everything that I do from there. That's good. And you know what, since we're, we're on the topic, I'm going to ask if you can kind of communicate what your brand position is. I'll, I'll mention in passing, and, and we'll certainly link to your website, Instagram, Facebook, and and then also the resources, uh, for example, that, that Paige just mentioned a few minutes ago as well. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things here. We'll mention all of these or link to all of these rather in our show notes. But um, Amanda, your website is brandepiphany.com. Is that correct? Yes. Cool. So it's B-R-A-N-D, brand, just like it sounds, and then epiphany, E-P-I-P-H-A-N-Y.com. And uh, you guys make sure you check out Amanda's website. But Amanda, you were talking about how to communicate your brand's position. And uh, I'd, so I'd love to, to first hear what that brand position is and then maybe how you communicate that brand position to your potential clients. Well, my main goal is to help photographers and wedding creatives build brands that really reflect who they are and what they stand for, and but also attract who they love working with. And because I think we should all feel freedom to be ourselves in our business, and we should all be able to work with people that truly value who we are and connect with us. So it's really all about that blend of who you are and who you want to work with and where that overlap is. Interesting. Okay. Well, let, we'll probably come back to that a little bit too in our conversation about the website funnel. But um, Paige, let's let's go back to you. And I'm curious just to hear a little bit about your background in business. First of all, what, what business it is that you do, uh, but then a little bit of the background of that business. And we'll also talk about your brand position. Yeah, absolutely. So I of course, in Paige Vaughn photo, very original, I know. Um, but I am a wedding photographer for fun, easygoing, joyful couples in love, um, which I feel like is it's. I feel like there's such a nice synergy here between talking about, you know, what's important and, and then how we execute that through our business too. And part of that, again, knowing who we're talking to and who we're serving. So a little bit more about my business. I've been shooting since. 2010, give or take, and shooting more seriously in a professional way since 2012 and shooting weddings since 2014. There's definitely an evolution there. There's a long time when 
I didn't think I wanted to shoot weddings because I was intimidated. And there's just a lot of pressure to serve somebody well on one of the more important days of their, of their life. But so 2014 is when I started to take the jump towards the path that I'm currently on. And I kind of got started. Really, I've always had an affinity for composition and imagery, even when I didn't know how to articulate that as a kid. I was very much using like point and shoot cameras or disposable cameras whenever I whenever I could. And so ultimately, I just saved up my babysitting pennies and in high school and purchased DSLR that way. So they're definitely more ex- exciting stories of how people got started. But I'd like to think that how I got started also relates more so to, to who I serve and and going to my brand's position and and how I like to position my brand. And I think it's funny that Amanda mentioned we should feel free to be ourselves in our business. And that's, and that's what I've tried to do. So my story and how I got into photography is accessible. And I like to think my, my business is accessible too. So I really focus... And I find that differentiator for myself and my business is that I create an atmosphere that's really fun because photography should be fun as, as artsy and just completely awe-inspiring as it can be. I think it's, it's kind of hard for people, just everyday people um, who want a good photography experience to identify themselves within other businesses because they're, they're not quite sure. They're not models. They're not made for photo shoots. They're not made, you know, they're just not quite sure how to approach the whole wedding photography process. So my whole thing is creating an atmosphere that's fun and inclusive and accessible and joyful and warm. I want them to feel like this is their experience and I'm here to serve them. And it should be one of the more fun things that you do as it pertains to the wedding planning process. So I'd like to think of it as giving them an experience that they'll want to do over and over again, besides obviously saying I do to their to their partner in crime. So that's a little bit about how I view my business. Yeah. And you know what? I like the, the fact that you point out that not all clients, I mean, I'm kind of rewording it here, but not, not all clients get the artistic side of photography, right? We have a particular idea this this vision in mind as photographers and let's all be real a, a lot of us are are creating work not only for the client but ultimately to to get the uh, the commendations if you will of our peers other photographers in the industry the reality is the client sees things a little bit differently and in fact vastly different in some cases they don't notice those nuances and the details that we do and so really a lot of what we should be focusing on as photography business owners is creating a really positive experience. And that's likely going to make more of an impact on you know 95% of our clients who don't really have an artistic background, that if they had a great time with you, you deliver a good product within a, a decent time frame. That's really all that you have to do. And so I love that you put that that um, priority on creating a, a fun, enjoyable experience for your clients. And I think that's really important for photographers to keep in mind. At the end of the day, there are thousands and thousands of photographers that can take a decent image um, and, and that might even call themselves artists. And it's it can be tough to actually distinguish yourself from another photographer's work with everybody using the same Lightroom presets and Photoshop actions and so forth. Um, but if you were able to create a distinct experience or even just a, an enjoyable experience and they're able to connect with you as an individual, that'll make a massive difference in your ability to continue to grow your business and to make it a sustainable business model. So that's really, really good. Um, I, let's go to the, the techie side for just a second. And I love this question because we have both a photographer and a non uh, quote non-photographer in the conversation here but Paige let's actually start with you what's a favorite piece of gear in your camera bag and then maybe Amanda you can you can comment on your approach to photography as a non-professional photographer yeah absolutely so I, I definitely live and die by the Canon 5D Mark III I know there's the Mark IV that's come out since then and I know that's an incredible piece of equipment but I like to say don't break what's not broken I love my Mark III and honestly the, I mean I'm sure this isn't definitely is not the most original answer but it is my tried and true workhorse paired with a 50 millimeter 1.2 L. I use that about 90% of the time and I like it because it's just, it really allows me to get closer to my couples and create more intimate moments during that time, um, which obviously I can, I can do with other lenses as well, but I just have a, a preference towards that. And I'd say on the more tech nerdy side of photography, I'm 
the 135 millimeter L is also my next favorite. Just the bokeh is so buttery. And I feel like it allows me to capture, again, those intimate moments, but during more hectic moments of the day or from farther away. Or it allows really moments to happen and I'm able to capture them without imposing on the moments. So those are my favorites. Um, I also just have the pretty standard collection of a 35, 85, and 100 outside of those those babies too. So that's, that's a little bit about what's in my bag. Well, and there's something to be said to keeping your gear bag simple, right? And and maybe even if you have a few options in the bag, um, having a p- one particular lens, you mentioned the 50 that you shoot most of your images, images with, again, it creates certain constraints like we talked about earlier. It forces you into a particular constraint in this case with a focal length that, that makes you have to move around and shift around in order to get the shot. But now you're not having to think about switching camera bodies or switching lenses out. And that simplicity of workflow can really allow you to focus on your craft. That's really great. Amanda, I'd love your take on the, the, the tech side of photography from your perspective as a designer. Designer. Well, I love photography, but I'm not an not a photographer, so I mostly use my iPhone. Um, I do love Photoshop and can use it, but I end up using the Color Story app the most. So basically, I just try to keep things as simple as possible with lots of natural light. That's kind of my go-to. That's but great. when it when it comes to my secret weapon, though, it, I actually hire people to do a lot of my photography. I have two amazing photographers that I love. And because I value that so much and I'm trying to attract other photographers, I just love hiring other people and letting them own their zone of genius. So I definitely hire some of that out. Which is so important. I mean, it goes back to what uh, Paige was saying earlier about delegating the work that that um, that you don't have to be involved in. And in this case, you're delegating because of the expertise. The expertise exists elsewhere. And I think that's so important as business owners for the sake of maintaining a little bit of sanity. Uh, but I love that. What type of, uh, what version of the iPhone are you using? I have the 7. Okay, iPhone 7, which in and of itself is a, quite a capable camera. And I've mentioned this product before, but and Amanda, maybe this would even benefit you, but I, I love shooting with my phone and uh, kind of making concerted effort not only to do that for the sake of photo, but also video. And I've got a product that I use called Moment. Uh, the Moment lenses are a really, really amazing product. And of course, we'll make sure to link to them in the show notes, but um, they're they're a really sharp lens, very capable. They've got a fisheye, a wide, a telephoto, a macro. Um, I have three of the four. I don't have the macro, although I'd love to pick that up as well. But if if you're doing most of your photography with an iPhone, um, that is those that is certainly a great product to pick up. So make sure you you check those out. I'll have to look into that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's dive into uh, the conversation, kind of our primary focus for today, and it's a loaded one, so we're going to try to move as quickly as possible. I don't want to keep you too too long, ladies, and I know you probably want to get another cup of coffee or, or tea. So let's let's dive into this, and really, what we'll start out with is is how the conversation started in the first place, and and I love just kind of how organically this whole thing happened, and how we ultimately had the opportunity to do this interview today. Um, but I posted something in the the show of tears. Facebook group, actually, just a few days ago. I guess this has maybe been about a week ago. And for those of you who are not familiar with Show It, Show It has created a website design platform that um, enables not only you to be able to customize your website very easily, but then there's there's a, a wealth, there are a wealth of designers out there who are putting those websites together for photographers. So make sure that you go check out Show It's uh, software. And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. But they've got a wonderful community that I'm really excited to be a part of. A uh, w- wonderful conference uh, as well that they have annually show at United. And uh, that happens in the fall. And we'll also link to that in the show notes. But I, I just posted this and I'll read this because Paige and Amanda got involved in this conversation responding to my, my, th- my comment uh, or my post in the Facebook group. And this is what started the conversation to begin with. But I just said, hey, all I've been looking a lot or at a lot of photographers' websites as I prep for the podcast interviews at the Boca Podcast. And I'm curious about something. Why is it not more common to put easily visible Instagram and Facebook icons at the top of your website rather than tucking tiny icons at the bottom of the pages, which is what I normally see? seems like you'd want potential clients or clients to find you on social media more easily. Would love your thoughts. And so a number of people responded, but but 
page. I'll start with with your comment. You said, well, having people follow me on social media is definitely a plus. I want the main call to action to be exploring the work and info on my website and then clicking through to contact me. Most of my brides end up following me during our email correspondence since I have my social handles in my email signature. Social media is borrowed space. It's also so easy to passively follow someone without ever taking action. I'd rather people find me on social media organically and end up on my website, not the other way around. He said, I should also say I have social links on the bottom on my menu and on my contact page so they'll find me if they're looking. And then Amanda, you said, I purposely put them on the bottom for the reason page stated. The main goal is to direct visitors through the site and to the contact page rather than tempting them to immediately leave the site and go elsewhere. This makes the most sense for a service-based business. Also, it's not that items on the bottom of a page are an afterthought. Visitors are usually looking for somewhere else to go once they reach the bottom of a page. So it makes sense that if they didn't want to navigate somewhere else in the site, they're invited to go to social media channels instead. Um, I then followed that up uh, with the workflow UI decisions make sense, page and demand, but the social media not only encourage conversation, but also allow the clients to see the most recent work. And uh, Paige, you said, I see where you're coming from, but I keep my blog up to date every week or so, which I have to say is is probably, you're probably the the abnormal one here. A lot of photographers have a hard time keeping that work up to date. So kudos to you for that. Uh, but you said, so my social media is just an extension of my blog to an extent, but I do like them to also follow me on social media since it's an extension of my personality and client experience, just not my website's priority. Uh, and then Paige, you also said, I think I've mentioned it in one of our previous convos before, Nathan, but I also work in digital marketing and PR. So if you ever need a guest or something, that is something I'd love to nerd out about. And here we are a week later. So that's really great. And then Amanda, you said, my feeling is that social media is usually further at the top of the funnel and the website is further down. Chances are they found me an engaged with me on social media first, which led them to the website. You uh, continued on after that. Also, I think the priority of social media varies by whose website it is. It makes way more sense for a blogger, even a podcast to highlight their social media channels more than a photographer, for instance. And I don't think any approach is wrong necessarily. That's just the logic I go by personally based on my own research and a page that I totally agree with its place in the funnel. So I know that was a lot of reading, um, but I wanted to give context to the conversation. And maybe if, if both of you could kind of share your thoughts on the significance of well, just this topic as a whole, the, the placement of the social media icons, uh, maybe you can kind of sum up your each of your perspectives on that. And that'll take us then to the topic of the website funnel. Uh, maybe Amanda, if you'll start. Well, when people land on your website, the truth is you only have a few seconds a lot of times to really capture their attention and kind of lead them to the next step or the next place you want them to go in your site. So it's important for every page to have a really clear purpose, page or section, and be focused on that purpose. And if you're a service-based business and you want people to hire you, then that overall focus should really be on leading them to contact you. So because of that, I really try to to minimize the distractions and just have a few clear call to actions on each page. I want to lead them through my site and not away from it. So I do tend to place those social media icons on the bottom of the page. And that way, like I said before, they reach the end of the site and they're not ready to contact me, then there's still a next step available for them to stay connected. And there's some other good places that to highlight social media, like on your about page and on your contact page are really good places. But that should be secondary to the ultimate goal, which is to get people to the next step of hiring you, which is probably making contact with you. That makes sense. Now, I have a question. You mentioned that the significance of focus um, or, or focusing or having a, a more specific purpose for the page. And I know there is there is a um, what has become quite popular. And, and, and this is certainly the case for both of your websites for brandepiphany.com and then pagevonphoto.com. There is you have a scrolling homepage, right? So there's there's just I like the idea of kind of step-by-step working through that page and guiding them through, again, a funnel. And we'll get to the topic of a funnel here in just a second. But if if they really are supposed to focus on a particular task, does having so much content on a scrolling homepage uh, get in the way of that, Amanda? What's your take on that? Well, there's a few different views on that. Um, and my personal approach is I do like to break websites in a different page. But the reason there tends to be more sections on the first page now is because a lot of people are on mobile and it's a just natural tendency to keep scrolling and right. research has shown that that 
people will scroll as long as it's there and it's not necessarily a deterrent. So as long as you have a hierarchy and like that clear call to action on the top of your page and then for each section, I, I really don't think it holds people back because like I said, on your mobile phone, it's easier to just scroll through and kind of absorb that information rather than clicking through a ton of different pages. That so makes I think sense. that's why that's more popular. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Paige, will you share your thoughts or just kind of sum up your thoughts on, on the workflow with social media icons? And Amanda said it, said it really well. So I won't reinvent the wheel here, but I, again, so, and I think this, I might be putting the card in front of the horse a little bit, but when we think about the marketing funnel. And I feel like it can be a very intimidating subject there. I know personally when I don't know all about things, sometimes it's easy to shy away and be like, oh, well, like that's not what I'm trying to do in my business. Like that's, that's not what I'm doing, but it's, it's actually really approachable and makes things, I don't know, it gives a purpose to things a little bit more easily and what we do in our business and why. So for, for our purposes, the funnel could look way at the top where there's the most people would be awareness and, and social media fits into that because that is where people are most likely becoming aware of our brand. Or at least that is how it works for my business. I have a social media strategy in place. That's where people are becoming aware. Then the, it's to dr- my whole goal is to drive them to my website because social media is borrowed space. As much as I care about my followers, I don't know how long I'm going to have that platform for. And I think this has been part of a bigger conversation and and where we're, we're building our tribe. and. For sure. and and do we own those people? I mean, not own them in a materialistic sense, but I have no way of getting those followers back if something were to happen to that platform. So ultimately, I want to drive them to my website because my website is where I can most clearly communicate who I am, who I serve, and what I do. And then again, I have a, a user experience planned for them on the website. So once I get them to the website, then they're I'm in their consideration set. They are interested. They are considering me if they need a photographer. Or, or maybe they are not looking at photographer, but they're still considering, you know, following me in some regard. And so the next step in the process could look something more like an email marketing strategy. So maybe your goal is to get them to sign up for your list. So that way you can target them further down the road. And then ultimately the goal is converting them, you know, getting their contact information, seeing who they are, what they need and how you can serve them. And if you're the right fit for them by clicking on the contact page. So it's, it's not that I don't see the value in social media and I definitely have, it has its own content, at least on my channels. So while I agree with my previous statement about it being an extension of my blog, really, I have so much more for them and I have resources on my website. And ultimately I feel like each part of our online presence plays a role in in this funnel and beyond just converting them. You know, you also have the opportunity to create loyal customers or followers, and then also create brand advocacy through kind of your social media marketing, your online, uh, your online presence, and also just your client experience. But I wanted to break down a little bit more what that funnel looks like and how each part, each part of our marketing strategy plays into that, because I feel like it's a, it's a lot of, things that people don't consider as part of an actual process and it has a purpose and, and how that works. So anyway, yeah, that's just a little bit of how, how, how I personally approach it. And that's why on my website, social media, it's available, but it's not the priority because I've already gotten them to my website. That makes sense. Well, and, and this is really just a great segue then to my, my next question here and, and topic of conversation. And you were already touching on it, Paige, which is, first of all, what a funnel even means, because I think for most photographers, uh, you know, the, the idea that that word funnel is not something that they're actively thinking about. It's a it's a marketing industry term that that maybe is just not as commonly used in the, the photography industry specifically. So, Paige, if you will just share your definition, your understanding of the definition of funnel, maybe both based, I'm sorry, based both on your personal experience, uh, as well as maybe what the standard industry definition is. Yeah, definitely. So I feel it, it is really a lot more simple than I think sometimes I even make it in my head. And so I, I will admit before working in marketing, I was working mainly in, in PR. So again, it, it definitely has a different meaning based on the type of business you're in too. But I think for our purposes, the a funnel in a very basic sense is the path our ideal clients, because, you know, we're being intentional and our strategy is based around who we're serving and why we're serving them. So the path our ideal clients take from becoming aware of our brands to converting or, or signing on the dotted line. And I mentioned there's a couple steps in between that or 
the steps are, you know, awareness and consideration and conversion and then loyalty and advocacy. So I think it's really, it's kind of what you make it in and what works best for your business. Because when you're taking a look at, at who you're talking to, you really in addition to knowing who they are and why you want to serve them, you have to know where are they consuming information? How are they best communicated with? Because, you know, if you are targeting a certain audience that isn't on social media, then I feel like it, it may be unwise to invest a lot of time and resources and, and strategy behind social media if you know your audience just isn't there. And that doesn't apply to all social media. There are a lot of social media channels that I think people participate in because they feel like they have to, um, but it's not necessarily serving them best. And it's not even reaching the people they want to reach. You know, like you don't necessarily have to have a branded Twitter or you don't have to, not that anybody has a Google Plus anymore, but <laughs> I think, you know, it's approaching it that way. So knowing it starts with what Amanda said, knowing who you're talking to, okay, where are they consuming information? When are they consuming information? All of those things to establish beforehand and then choosing the parts or which parts of marketing strategy fit within these different parts of the funnel. So awareness for me, social media works, it's effective. So that's my awareness tactic there. And then in addition to, I feel like that can be in person too. It could be through networking. It could be through going to bridal shows. It really, it really just depends. There are lots of different ways that work for different businesses. And then you'll slowly guide them towards converting or getting their information if you're if you're speaking to the correct audience in the way they, they like to be talked to. So I I realize that's a lot to consume, but really is just the basic path of, of what we want for them and, and how we're going to give it to them. Well and, and again this is a theme and, and I'm I'm so glad that it is. We have to be clear about what it is that we want out of our business. And then once we're clear about that, that'll enable us to decide who our target market is. We need to be clear about that. And, uh, and then understanding the language that they speak. And these things will then enable us to be able to create a more effective funnel proactively versus just kind of haphazardly or randomly going about business, just you know, hoping that we get a client here and there. Uh, I love the proactive nature of this mentality. I think this is really, really great. Amanda, if you don't mind sharing just your understanding and your perspective on a funnel, and then we'll, we'll, st- we'll talk a little bit more about the practical side of things, what photographers can do to more... Uh, effectively create a better funnel? Well, Paige summed it up really well in that it's just that path that people take from first hearing about you to buying from you. It's that whole no like trust factor and just being able to build a road that people can take because the fact is most of us don't just hear about someone and then buy from them on the same day. There's a path that that we go along. And like she said, um, they use the term funnel because, you know, it's from speaking to many, although you should always have one person in mind, it's kind of speaking to more people. And then as it goes down, you're speaking one-on-one with that person and ultimately hoping that they'll buy from you. And so the top of the funnel for me is social media, but also primarily, like she said, in-person networking. That's where people you know, most hear about me. And just whenever people come in contact with you or at any stage, you should have in mind, okay, what is the next step that I want people to take? And it's fun to be like, okay, a next step I want people to take is to email me and say, I'm hiring you right now, but that's probably not going to happen. So we just want to create that journey that we're leading people through. And even on your website, when people first land on your website, how can we lead them in a way that really communicates our value and the experience we're providing that leads them to getting in contact with them where we can share more about, you know, ourselves and ultimately leading them to that purchase. Okay. So this is good and and, and really probably a, a relatively fresh perspective for a lot of our listeners. So let's make it even more practical um, what tendencies, and, and Amanda, we'll start with you. What tendencies do you see in the websites of photographers that are kind of hurting their ability to convert more clients? How can they, um, how can they make their so-called funnel more effective, more powerful, and lead to more conversions? Okay. Well, I know earlier I said two, but I wanted to. That I had two things I wanted to bring up, but I wanted to bring one, another thing up that come came up while we were talking about homepages earlier, sure. which is 
The first mistake I see is either there's too many call to actions, which is a call to action is just literally what it sounds like a button to click or a page to go to or a form to fill out. And a lot of times I see there's either too many on a homepage. There's like a million different places for people to go or there's none. I've, you know, I've seen lots of pages. There's just a beautiful photo, maybe even a line of text. And they're just really relying on the menu for it to do all the work. And I don't really recommend each of those. We want to intentionally have like, I'd recommend no more than three to five call to actions on your homepage that can lead people through just depending on where you want to go. So that that's my first one. But then going into what I had planned before is I think that um, another big tendency I see is for photographers to jump straight into talking about themselves yes. without really sharing the experience and the value that they bring to people they work with because we're selfish people. And if we're looking at websites with the intent of hiring someone, we want to know that they can solve our problem, that they have what we need before we're willing to know more about them. So yes, we want to know about you, but within that context. So there should be like a really clear statement on your homepage that speaks directly to your dream client and kind of paints a picture of how their life is going to be better if they hire you. Just letting them know you understand what they value and what they need. And if you can use, you know, paint a picture using, you know, emotions and imagery, that's even better. So that kind of bleeds into, I guess, my third and last thing, which is the about page. The about page is generally the first place people click when they land on your homepage. It's one of the most heavily visited. So it's important to really use that space wisely. And again, just hook people and speak directly to your dream client and let them know that they're in their right place. So that's a good place to share the story behind your business, your why, and ultimately why you are the perfect fit for them and then invite them to that next step wherever else you're wanting to lead them on your site. So yes, talk about yourself on your about page, but do it in a way that really shares the connection and the value you have for your clients. And then after that, you can have more freedom to kind of share those fun things like random facts about yourself just to even add more opportunities for connection. Oh, this is really good. And and um, I, I was visibly responding to you as you're talking, because especially that second point, there there really is a tendency for photographers to to highlight themselves, which to be clear is is important for the sake of differentiation. However, at the end of the day, the, that that client or potential client does want to know. I love how you how you phrased this, how you worded it. They want to know how their life is going to be better. What is the value proposition that you are offering to them? If if they hire you, what do you give them that they're not going to get anywhere else? And while part of that does is tied to or correlated to you as an individual, they need to know on a very practical level what value it is that that you're bringing to their lives, to their wedding day, to their portrait session, whatever it might be. And that is so, so important. So that's really good. Paige, I'd love for you to comment uh, on on the tendencies that you're seeing in these the websites of photographers as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you can't see me over here, but I'm just doing all of the praise hands emojis because I <laughs> am with both of you. Like, I wish I could give both of you a hug right now because I'm with you and I agree on all these points too, which is going to make me sound very unoriginal when I say that. Yes, both of those things were top on my list. But I will say, so I think, yes, there are photographers who maybe talk a little bit too much about themselves first and how, Amanda, you mentioned that is important. But then I've actually seen a lot of photographers, especially in the fine art space, which is a, a space I respect very much, um, even though that's not what I personally qual- qualify myself into, where I can't find a single photo of them. I don't know who they are. Like maybe they mention why they do what they do. And again, it's so important, especially when we're thinking about the funnel, the consideration that, you know, there's awareness and there's consideration. That is where people are looking for solutions. And that's where we're adding what we provide value in or what our, what product or service do we provide and all the things that we said. But ultimately, if I can't find a photo of you, I am bouncing off of your site. And I think Oh, especially photographers and creative entrepreneurs in general, we put so much energy into our social media and, and having our personality come through, which is 
you know, a really beneficial and just, it's a beneficial thing, but if I go to your website and I don't see any of that communicated and vice versa, if there's very kind of quirky things about you on your website and I go to your social media and I don't see any of that, I'm going to wonder, are these even the same people? Um, what, why do these feel like two different communication strategies? All that, all that to say, I think it's important to be sure you include a photo of yourself, who you are and, and why you do what you do. So if you don't have that, then that's, that's an issue and you're probably losing customers. And I know it's, it's tough love, but I mean, wouldn't you want to know what the person you were going to work with looks like before you contact them? Um, if not to judge them, but ultimately to know, are they, are you establishing trust as a business? Do they, are they able to get to know you enough from your online presence to want to initiate those in-person conversations. So really for the photographers who don't have that out there, I think, you know, it is a, it is a problem, but yeah, all that's, all that to say, I'm totally echoing what both of you have said about having a clear user experience on your website, uh, really bringing to the table what you can do for them and considering the user experience and the user and the customer before all else, I feel like that, that goes a long way. And that's even can be said for if you have a website that's not mobile, mobily responsive and shows up on people's phones as a desktop site, or it's a website that's slow to load or any of those things, that is where people are bouncing off your website. And I don't know if you'll ever get them back. I, I hope they love you enough to come back or find you on social media again and, and do the whole user experience path again, but you, you never truly know. So it's like the more we can do to create a website that's easy to use, fast to load and all of those things, uh, the importance of that can't be understated. This is good. And, and really we're touching on a topic that, that could take hours and hours and hours to cover it, uh, to, to cover fully. Um, I love that both of you bring a certain level of expertise to the conversation um, that, and frankly, this is a conversation that could continue individually uh, with our listeners. And so we're going to make sure to share your contact info here in just a minute or two. But just to kind of reiterate a couple of the main points, because again, this is such a loaded topic, but I think we're walking away with some some key takeaways here today. Um, one, Amanda, that you mentioned um, that I think is really important, and Paige, you kind of reiterated that the, the importance of a relatively simple experience on the website. So Amanda, you specifically talked about too many calls to action page. You were talking about just creating an, an easy user experience. I'm always amazed when I think about these principles of web design, and then I go to a, a website like Amazon. I, I'm like, how in the world did they do so well with so many different calls to action, so many different links on a page, so many different directions to go? Uh, we are None of us as photographers are Amazon, and uh, we should be creating a really, really simple, easy, clean, and clear user experience for our clients and potential clients. And so I'm glad that that you brought that up. Of course, uh, we've reiterated over and over again the importance of making sure that we are bringing the, or making very, very clear the value proposition, what it is that we're offering in the experience with our, our photography business that will benefit that client. And yeah, oh, by the way, hey, I am so-and-so photographer. And and Paige, to your point, actually, I was just looking at a photographer's website yesterday. I went to this, this local creatives meeting and the person who was photographing the meeting, uh, they mentioned them. So I, I looked up their website and the website didn't actually mention the person's name, his his name at all on the website. There was an about page, but no mention of their name. And I think there was maybe a, a picture where the, the photographer was rel relatively small in the image as well. So you couldn't get a good feel for what the person looked like. You certainly didn't know their name. And as a result, you walk away with just a very impersonal feeling uh, as opposed to, hey, I know who this person is now, what they look like. Um, Amanda, I'm actually on your website right now and, and on the homepage. And there's this really cute, very endearing photo of you there. And and you say, hey, there, friend, you know, like, I, I want to be your friend. Now you've got a great smile and, and, and oh, you seem very you. personal. And, and so that kind of opportunity to connect with the potential photographer um, that this client may want to hire is really, really important. But I, I love that you emphasize that. And, um, and and then using the the about page wisely, I think, and really this is kind of touching on the same point, but there are so many instances in which I go to an about page of a photographer and there is so much focus there 
about them and their backstory and maybe the awards that they've won or the opportunities that they've had and the things that they've done. These are all relatively interesting things, but they really should be secondary or tertiary to making sure, once again, that we're reiterating the value proposition, what it is that we're going to do for the client. And, and if you are going to share your story, great. Make it personal, but make sure that you don't spend too much time. I, I think to our earlier point about keeping the user experience simple and clean, if there's so much text that the client has to go through on that page, they, they may even get bored. And the last thing you want them to do is to get bored with your brand. You know, there's a tendency in our culture and society, especially with social media now, that that scrolling tendency, right? You want to be able to just scroll through, quickly glance, get the message, get the value add, and and then move on to the CTA, the, the call to action, and that hopefully leads to conversion. And so I think that's really important as well. Again, this is a, such a loaded topic. We've just kind of touched on it briefly. We are limited in time today. And so we're going we're gonna to close the conversation here. But what I'd love to do is to make sure all our listeners know how they can see both your work online as well as to get in touch with you. So Amanda, will you start with your website, social media, and how our listeners can get in touch with you? Well, you can find me everywhere at Brand Epiphany. So brandepiphany.com and then Instagram and Facebook at Brand Epiphany. Perfect. And Paige? Same for me. So you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Paige Von Photo. And you can find me at www.pagevonphoto.com. Pretty easy. I want to connect with you. Reach out. That's perfect. I really can't thank you both enough for making time to have this conversation today and kind of last minute and so early in the morning as well on a Saturday. I really can't thank you enough uh, for making time for the Boca podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. Yes. So nice to talk to you both. I hope we can talk again soon. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Thank you.